Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. All right, are y'all ready to dive into God's Word? All right, I'm going to ask you to stand one more time. We're going to be Catholic today. All right, I know y'all like, come on, John. But we're going to say a prayer together to prepare our hearts, minds, and spirits, and then we're going to dive, then we're going to dive in today. And if you wouldn't mind lifting up hands, the prayer is going to be on the screen behind me. I'm going to start off. If you would join in with me, and let's say this prayer together as we get ready to dive into God's word. All right? Spirit of God, you are here and you are moving, speaking, challenging, comforting, convicting, informing me to be like Jesus. Today, open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, our hearts to feel, and our spirits to discern what you are saying to us. Let us be not just hearers of your word, but doers of the word. And everyone said, amen. 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 Give someone a high five and you, and you can have a seat. So, I was supposed to today, we've been in a series called Jesus And, where we've been looking at basically what Jesus has to say about everything. And so, so kind of just like looking at specific topics, looking at what Jesus would say about certain things, but, but also to just looking at the life of Jesus to see his example on certain things. Because I think sometimes as followers of Jesus, we, we can follow everyone but Jesus. We're following the news media, we're following what some other pastor says, and and really the heart behind this series is just to dive into what Jesus says and the way Jesus lived to help fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, okay? And with this, though, I was supposed to talk today about one of y'all's favorite topics in politics. We're, 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 we're going to talk about politics. I was about to go into that lion's den, right? So we're going to talk about Jesus and politics, but I really felt a stirring in my spirit today that once... You, that once, you know, I was kind of enlightened last week to what is going on over in the Middle East. I was like, man, this, I mean, I, I just felt a heaviness in my spirit, a heaviness in my heart um, for what is happening over there. I've been praying. We've been praying for justice to be served, for civilians to be protected, both sides to ultimately come and follow Jesus. And just in this time, and and. Why I think that video by Joe Rogan should speak to us is, I don't know if you know who Joe Rogan is, multi-multi-millionaire, is literally self, like, has, has had Elon Musk's on, Musk, Musk, not Musk's, Musk on his show, he's friends with him, friends with the smartest, most powerful, influential people in the world, everything he could possibly want, and if that guy is saying, I lay in my bed freaking out about the state of the world. And I think Joe is saying that because he's got friends that know stuff, that probably talk to him. And it's just weird hearing someone that has so much stuff sound like he's so hopeless. And I'm just like, if, if he feels that way, 
How are some of y'all feeling? And so I just really felt stirred today by the Holy Spirit to kind of talk about, instead of politics, <laughs> talk about Jesus and the last days. Churches can have a tendency that when they're in a ditch on one side, they will, in order to get out of that ditch, they'll get out of the ditch, right on the road for a little bit, and then go to the ditch on the complete opposite side. Right? It's what we have a tendency to do. We overcorrect. When something is somewhat abused or something is somewhat maybe misconstrued or misinterpreted, the church will then have this reaction, well, we don't want to have any of that, so we're going to go to the complete far opposite side. And I think kind of the way we've done this is with the end times. I don't know if anybody grew up in church in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. But the return of Jesus, I felt like was talked about all the time. I mean, it was like my mom had a curriculum for me to make sure I understood Jesus was coming back. And he going to go back into places where he don't want to go. So that's, that's why even sometimes, like some Pentecostals, they, they would teach, you, you don't, go, don't go to movies because Jesus ain't going into that R-rated movie to get you. <laughs> so some people stop going to movies. Because they were like, Jesus ain't going into that movie theater to get me when he comes back. He ain't going to go into that casino. And now it's funny. Now we have church in the movie theater. <laughs> and I remember, like, my, my mom was like, yo, John, you're going to watch these rapture movies. I don't know if y'all remember these. If y'all remember, y'all watch these, you know y'all were really spiritual. It was a award-winning, timeless classics. They had, they, they had like a $10 budget, <laughs> and they had to show the end of the world with a $10 budget. I give them props for trying. But, you know, A Thief in the Night, A Distant Thunder, Image of the Beast, A Prodigal Planet, you know, and, and it, was, it, was, it was just, I mean, I remember watching those and, like, legitimately thinking Jesus was coming back tomorrow. And I had this deep sense and awareness, and I did not want to be left behind. So I would, I would like, you know, I, and I mean, like I remember one time, and I think I've told this before, but, you know, like at a, at a time when I was like very impressionable, 10 years old, I watched these videos, and there was one particular scene in this movie. Like, do y'all remember phones that used to have cords and stuff like that that used to be on the wall in your houses? Do y'all remember those? Well, I, you know, and you know how if it was off the hook, there'd be a busy signal. So it'd be like, dar, 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 right? So I remember there was one particular scene in this, in this rapture movie where, where somebody was calling somebody, but the other person that they were talking to, like, it, it, like the phone went on the ground because they got raptured. And so they, they called the person to, you know, talk to them, but they had been raptured, but the phone was off the hook. And so when they called, it was the busy signal. Literally the next day at my friend's house, I go to call my mother. And I get the busy signal. And I'm like, she is gone. <laughs> and I'm still here. My friend and his family are still here. And I legitimately start to freak out. I'm like, the rapture came, and we got left behind. And my friend's mom was a sweet, sweet woman, Christian woman. And I say this with love, but 
she was Baptist, okay? So my mom, this is, this is what I grew up in, like, like, I love mom, but she told me, like, Baptists, they didn't have the full gospel because they didn't have the Holy Spirit, which is not right. Like, but anyway, like, there was just this, like, oh, we're better than the Baptists because we're, we're Pentecostal and we speak in tongues, blah, blah, blah. So I, I had this mentality of, like, they were like a second-tier Christian, right, which is not true at all, right? But, but that, that's just kind of what I was, like, handed down. So she's like, you know, my friend's mom's like, hey, hey John, just let you know, if, if the rapture came, we, we would all be gone. I said, no, my mom was a real Christian. <laughs> she, was, she was a real one. <laughs> she was a real Christian. <laughs> And she got a little offended and, you know, but then we got a hold of my mom and, and it was all good. But I, I say that because, honestly, that was the kind of the culture I grew up in. You never know. And then how many of y'all remember the Tim LaHaye movies? They're the books, right? Got, I mean, books. And because we have this proclivity inside of us to want to know stuff about the book of Revelation. When's it going to end? What's the Antichrist going to come? When is the millennial reign of Christ? Are we here for the tribulation? Or are, do we get picked up halfway through it? Or do we go through the tribulation and then we'll be saved? Like all of, of these, esca, and that's the word es, eschatology is the study of the end times. And people have studied the end times. People that have more degrees than Fahrenheit. People that are Christians that love this word, that are faithful followers of Jesus, that study the book of Revelation and all the prophecy and, and all the apocalyptic literature in Scripture that come up to even different con- conclusions about the nuances of the end of the world and the rapture and things like that. And so I say that to you to say, I thank God that people study the book. I, th- I thank God that we want to know theology. But even as I said when I was talking about hell a few weeks ago, Having the right theology, if it doesn't change the way you live, what's the point? James said, faith without works is dead. Belief, does, belief is important, but belief is not everything. The devil believes in God. The devil believes in God. Just because the devil believes in God does not make him saved. It makes him aware. But he doesn't match his action with his belief. His actions are to try to tear down. So we can have right theology about the end times, and some of you, this is very important to you. Some of you grew up like I did, where there was a huge emphasis on, on this and importance, which there absolutely should be. But I just want to start saying, though you might have the right theology, though you, it's, it's like, what's, how's it going to change the way we live? And that's what I think is important when it comes to this conversation as we're talking about the end of the world. Because what the church has done is we went from talking about it all the time to where we don't talk about it hardly at all. So we've gone into that ditch the ditch was we scare, I'm not cussing, the hell out of people. Literally. But then because people abused it and almost used it, I, with a good heart, I think, I think because they really, you know, but it was like, here's the, here's the thing, like scaring people to change will work for a little bit. This is why I think there's even a backlash of people deconstructing their faith right, right now. Is because people had a fear-based following of Jesus instead of love-based. Fear-based will change your behavior for a little bit, but it won't change your heart. And even that's the kind of environment we're trying to create at our church. It's not like do this or else. It's the Lord invites you into something so much better. And because we love him, 
because he gave us grace. Anything good we do is a response to the goodness and grace that God has already given. Right? But the other ditch that I think we've gone into is we don't even consider the return of Christ anymore. We don't think about it that often. And one of the things that, that has kind of come back to me as this whole in the Middle East thing has sparked up is, y'all, this, 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 this just feels a little different. I think because of the flammableness of it and the countries that are backing the countries that are in the war. And I just really felt led by the Holy Spirit today to hopefully give us a sobering message. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to use the end times to scare you to change. I'm, I just want to prayerfully, we're going to look at some of the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 that he talks about the end times. Just give you the words of Jesus, and hopefully by the grace of God, it will be like a sobering. Because I think we need to get out of the ditch of not considering the imminent return of the Lord. And we need to make it a part of our, of our path, of our road of following him. And so that's what I pray to do today is to get us out of the ditch. I'm not going to go into deep eschatological theology to try to convince you of a certain way. We're going to look at the words of Jesus and let them fall where they may. Amen? I, I, don't, I don't know who that kid was, but you're awesome. Matthew 24. Jesus said this. He said, later Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us when all this will happen. He's talking about the end of the world. And like, what sign will signal, signal your return and the end of the world? So, so the disciples here are like, hey, Jesus, can you fill us in on what some of the signs of the times are going to be? And Jesus went on, goes on a discourse here of like 50, 60 verses, so I'm not going to read all of them, but I want to summarize and point out some of the highlights of the verses to help give us a kind of like summary of some of the things that Jesus said in Matthew 24. Number one, what Jesus told them, he's like, basically, what are some of the signs that we're kind of in these end times? Number one, he says, there will be deception. Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah, and they will deceive many. Secondly, it says there will be war. Jesus said there will be war, threats of war, famines, and earthquakes in many parts of the world. And Jesus said this, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Thirdly, Jesus said there will be persecution. So then you will be, and he's talking to the disciples and to us as Christians. There will be, you'll, you'll be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. He's, he, says, he says this. Also, too, the gospel will be spread. He says in this time of craziness, the greatest outpouring of the good news of the gospel is, is going to overflow. He says, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. Then he says this in Matthew 24, 31. He, he, he says, I would say, Jesus will return and gather his followers with a trumpet blast. That's what we call the rapture. 
He says, and he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet, and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Jesus also said, said this, though. He said, nobody knows the day nor the hour when, when Jesus will come back, not even Jesus himself. He said, Matthew 24, 36, he said, however, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son himself. And then he's, he's basically giving, he's telling these things in relation to a parable he was telling about a fig tree. And this is what he says. He says, now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all of these things, you can know his return is very near, right at the what? Right at, right at, right at the door. And all the things that I just mentioned, if you're up to date on anything going on in the world, all of this is happening. But not just that, Israel itself is a signpost towards letting us know time differences of, or time things of the end times. Israel became, you know, a nation regathered in 1947. And that's one of the actual prophecies written in Scripture. I think it's Ezekiel 37 or 38, where it says basically once they come back together from, from their destruction and then being scattered and they form a nation, it says that that will be the generation that, that will see the second coming. And so we, we, we are essentially like, if we're taking Scripture as what it says, we are essentially in that generation. And so I think it's important for us because I don't know if you know this, the, the time of the game just determines the kind of play you're going to run. Right? The Jaguars today, we are, we are playing the Colts. And there's a Colts fan here today. Or how many of you, you're Colts fans? Okay, safety team, I don't know, if, can, we, can, we, can we get these people? I'm just, I'm just kidding. You're welcome at Lifehouse. But when the Jaguars are beating the Colts today, and the Colts are attempting a comeback, right? Like, what the play that the Colts are going to run when it's first quarter, seven minutes left, is going to be very different than, when the, when the, than if the game is at the two-minute warning. Because the time determines what kind of play. And, and so, as we are considering the fact that if, Jesus is telling us that we are essentially in some ways at the two-minute warning. We have to be considerate of that and then, then think, if this is where we are, what kind of plays do we run? What kind of instructions does Jesus give us in order to carry out? Because if, typically in a two-minute situation in the football NFL game, you go into what's called a hurry-up offense where you're calling plays, you're moving quicker, you've rehearsed the plays, you've ran the plays, you know the plays, and you're going out there, and since there is not a lot of time, your play calls change, and the way you operate the game changes. And that's what I think Jesus was trying to get his disciples in the mindset of. Y'all, the play is changing, because the time of the game requires it. And that's what I hope God does today with us is that we would be reminded of, of like, who knows? Like, y'all, like, time is, time is short. And that's not a fear tactic. And yes, it's true. We've been in the end times. So here's the thing, right? We would even say the end times began when the Holy Spirit came in Acts 2. It's one of the things that Peter said. 
He said the Holy Spirit came, the Holy Spirit fell. He referred to a prophecy in the book of Joel that said, in the last days I will pour out my spirit on sons and daughters and they will prophesy. You can even see the writers, Paul and Peter, reference to their churches they're writing to saying, the end is near. So we have to understand God's timing is different than our timing. Scripture says a day with the Lord is like a thousand years or a thousand years are like a day. So it's not like we are just entering into the end times. We've been in the end times. But when certain things happen, this is what Jesus was saying. When you see certain signs happening, it's really close. And that's what I'm trying to get to you today is is that the time of the game is short. We're in the two-minute warning, and our play has got to be different. But I love how Jesus, as he's saying Hey, this is what's going to be happening. This is kind of some of the things that are going to be going on. Some of the things you're watching on your television are like this sorts of stuff is going to happen. But then Jesus gives us, I think, three things to help us know what kind of play we need to run. And I want to share those with you really quick. First off, I love what Jesus says. He says this, don't panic. Don't panic. Matthew 24, 6, he says, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars. But don't panic. Can you say don't panic? Don't panic. Listen. There is no more harmful testimony for Christians than panicky Christians that are concerned about what, or that are overtaken with worry, concern, and anxiety for what is happening in the world. Because what that ultimately communicates is God isn't on the throne. Now, I'm not saying don't dismiss what you feel, because some of you are deep feelers, and you're seeing things online, and it's burdening your heart, and it's breaking your heart. And what I would say is let that burden turn into prayer. Don't let that burden turn into worry. Don't let that burden make you question the sovereignty of God. Don't make the pain and suffering question the character of God. Let that burden... Inside of you say, I'm going to turn this worry and I'm going to use it as a siren, this anxiety, this this stuff into praying, not being panicky. So I'm not telling you dismiss your stuff. What I'm saying is process it the right way to where you aren't overcome by worry, anxiety, fear, doubt, and panic. Because that's what the enemy would want more than anything. I've heard it said when you're flying on a plane and there's some turbulence, If you see the flight attendant freaking out, that's when you need to start freaking out. But if there's turbulence and the flight attendant is just sitting there on her phone, chilling, why? Because she's probably heard from the captain there's some turbulence coming. And what I think you need to know is in some ways you are a flight attendant. But you've got the captain speaking to you. You've got the captain speaking to you today saying, hey, it's not going to be good. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. The Middle East is, is, is going to be insanity because people are fighting over land and lineage. And who's the real Lord? There's fighting going on. It's not just the physical. It's also spiritual. 
But what I want to encourage you to do, God is, the captain is not on the throne saying, the ship is going down. No, he is communicating to you saying, as the flight attendant, this stuff is expected, don't panic. That's what I feel like the Lord wants to say today. You have access to a peace that scripture says is, surpasses understanding. Not that we dismiss our own pain or we dismiss others' pain. Not that we're like, oh yeah, it's all, all that suffering. It's, it's, it's all part of God's plan. I'm good. No, it's, it's, it's like you, you, are, you are in this middle ground of I want to feel what God feels like. God is, God's heart is broken over what's happening. But at the same time, you can, you, can, you can have a burden without being panicky. But you can have a burden that leads you to pray, burden that leads you to help in practical ways. And that's what I want to encourage us to do. Cracks me up when you see Christians, like even as Joe Rogan, like I'm getting off the grid, getting away from this insanity. This is crazy. And what I, what I would say, church, is we have to be careful when things get dark, we have to make sure the light doesn't run. Right? Because you will be tempted to go into protective mode over you. You will be tempted to run from the darkness instead of realizing you have the light. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. So if the light of the world is running from darkness, the church is running from its purpose. The church doesn't run when things get bad. When things get bad, we run towards the darkness with light. But if you have a panicky spirit, a panicky heart, you won't run towards it. You'll run away from it, and you'll call it wisdom. But whose wisdom is it? Worldly wisdom or godly wisdom? Because I don't know if we really understand this. Death for Christians isn't the end, it's the beginning. We forget this. I know we all want to live a long time, but I just want to remind you, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, lived a full life and lived 33 years. And I think we can almost love living so much that we actually want to, like, we'll want to prolong instead of, you know what, I, I don't want to sound like, just be kamikazes and, you know, it's like, no, like, but, but what I'm, I'm, I'm saying is, is, is if you, like even what it says in the book of Revelation, those that overcame, overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Do you know what the third, the third thing is? They didn't love their life so much as to shrink from death. In this day and age, it's going to be those that say, Thy will be done instead of my will be done. And as the church, these are going to be decisions. As things get darker, you're going to be tempted to retreat into your own, dark, dark, into your own darkness. But what I want to encourage you to do is you've been born for this moment. If this is when Jesus is coming back, you have been born in this time in history. What a privilege. Don't panic. Okay. Charles Spurgeon said this, said this, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the child of God rests his head at night, giving perfect peace. I want to encourage you, man. God is sovereign. All right, next. Jesus said this. He just didn't say, don't panic. He said, number two, 
endure. Endure. Matthew 24 says that sin will be, just what Jesus said, sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow what? Cold. But the one who endures to the end will be what? That word endure. That word endure. Endures to the end. I want to remind you endurance is not a spiritual gift. Endurance is cultivated. And how do you develop endurance? You train. If I was going to go out and run a, if I, excuse me, if I was going to go out and walk 41.2 miles, which I am doing, because I have pride. I'm not going to be beat by a 58-year-old woman. I, I love you, Sharon. Like, I was even planning on doing some training walks so my feet could get used to being on them for so long. Right? Like, as you say, like, Jesus is saying times are going to get hard. You have to develop endurance. And I think, unfortunately, we treat, dis- and this is why I think discipleship is so important and, and why following the way of Jesus is important. Because I think some of us think if times get hard, I'll rise to the occasion. I'll have spiritual apathy my whole life. But when it comes time, if I have to give my life for Jesus, I'll rise up. And what SEALs say, Navy SEALs say, is you don't rise to the occasion, you sink to the level of your training. That's why what we say at Lifehouse, we're not trying to be like Jesus, we're training. Essentially, we want to create an environment of training to where if it comes to the moment where you have to die for the faith, if you have to give up your life, it will be a decision you've already made a thousand times because you've made decisions to die to yourself. You've made decisions to say, thy will, not my will. Because we can think Jesus did what Jesus did because he was Jesus. We've been learning in in this series, Jesus didn't do what Jesus did because he was Jesus. Jesus did what Jesus did because he was filled with the same Holy Spirit you and I have the same access to, and he developed a life of discipline and rhythms that formed and shaped him into being a certain kind of person. Jesus shows us what is possible with humanness. He didn't lose his divinity in being 100% God, but he set it aside because he wanted to show us what, what was possible. And when the moment came for Jesus to be, to be betrayed by Judas, Judas did not even have to use force. Jesus gave himself up. He willingly said, I'm going to die. Why? Because Jesus throughout his life had made many choices to where he had to die to his own will. So when the moment came for him to ultimately die, he said, I've already died a thousand deaths. What is this one? Are y'all hearing my heart? Because some of y'all don't want to die, but then expect you'll, you'll die if it's what's required. And that's why the process of discipleship is so vital, y'all. That's why it develops in us in endurance. That if there are things that are required of us that are hard and difficult, we've already trained in the hard and difficult so we can endure the hard and difficult. This is why those that have some of the most horrific lives, when they endure and, and, and they glean and, and they grow, they, they can endure craziness because they've, they've trained themselves in it. And so that is, that is why, like, as we're in these end days, I see Jesus saying one of the plays we can run, one of the things we have to develop in this hurry-up offense, it is to 
develop a heart of endurance, of disciplines, of training to live and be shaped and formed to be a certain kind of person. So when the moment calls for us to rise to the occasion for Jesus, we won't sink to a level of training that has trained us on the United States way of living in the United States dream which is YOLO, do what you want, just consume, sit back and find places of comfort, just do that. Is that, is the United States environment training us to live a life of endurance when things get hard? No. Are y'all hearing, hearing my heart? Like this time of the world, this time in history is going to require a certain endurance of us because it says many will grow cold. Their love for Jesus will grow cold. I've got friends and family where this has been true. And I'm sure you do too, where their love has just ran out. It's just gotten to a point of what's the point of this? Why am I gonna do this? Why am I gonna sacrifice? Why am I gonna keep putting away my desire of what I wanna do? Is the love of many will grow cold. And so enduring and training protects us from our hearts becoming cold. Are y'all hearing my heart? I feel like I need to say that just to make sure y'all are hearing my heart. Hebrews 12.1 says this. That this is the, the, the writer of Hebrews here is talking about, talking about Jesus. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses to the life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. I want to let you know that there's a difference between a weight and a sin. A weight isn't something that is a sin, but it's something that's still keeping you back from running the race with Jesus. Because he, he, says, he says this, like, especially the sin that so we just, and let us run with, it, with, with what? Endurance. The race God has set before us. We do this. So he just, he, you know, I love the Bible because the Bible most of the time isn't like, just do it, bro. It's like, hey, we're going to tell you how to, how to do it. We do this by keeping our eyes on who? The champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. So the way he endured the cross is, is because he trained himself to live in a different world. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. I love how, how can we go, go back to the other verses? But when it talks about the difference between a weight and a sin, and the reason why, why this is talked about is this was kind of a word picture of how people would run in the Olympics in this day, where they would, I mean, y'all see runners now, it's like they're running naked. Because they're, they're throwing off anything that could hinder them from running their race well. Every weight, every, every sin. And I believe in this day and age and this time where we're in the two-minute warning, we have got to be looking at not just explicit sins that are holding us back, but things that are not sin but are still holding us back. I mean, we are in a culture of comfort. We're in a culture of distraction. We're in a culture of numbing. We're in a culture of medicating. 
Like how much of our life is predicated on just getting by? Just making it. And I, I, I think like, I know the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you right now, even what some of those things are. It's maybe things you watch. It's maybe things you listen to. Maybe it's things you're spending money on. And the Lord is saying, listen, it's the two-minute warning, brother. It's time, to, it's time to strip it. And let's run this thing hard. Everyone good? Just want to make sure I'm not being whatever. Just because honestly, I want you to hear my heart. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to get us ready. So Jesus said, don't panic, endure. And then he said this, Matthew 24, 30, excuse me, 24, 42. You can come up, Christian. Let's give it up, Christian. He is not single. He is married, happily married. But Jesus says this one thing whenever he's talking, before he's about to go into a parable talking about how people aren't ready for his coming. He, he says, keep watch. He says, so you too must keep watch for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. This is not a scare tactic. This is the words of Jesus. He says, keep, keep watch. Essentially, this is a anticipation, actively waiting. Because what, what you actually see, right, before Jesus was come, like in, in, I think it's Luke chapter 2, it, it talks about the prophet Simeon who was actively waiting for the coming of the Messiah. That word actively waiting means he wasn't sitting there in a chair twiddling his thumbs. Is as he was going on his way of life and doing his duties, as he was doing what he was called to do, there was this active anticipation inside of him saying, when is the Messiah coming? And when I think about as followers of Jesus, that you have lives, you have got children, you have got jobs, you have got responsibilities, you have got family, you've got sick moms and dads, you've got all of these things that are things that you will carry as a human being on this earth. I'm not saying throw it away. Jesus is coming back. Sorry, mom and dad, I can't take care of you. Jesus is coming back. Sorry, little Johnny, you're not going to play football now because you're going to go into Bible boot camp. You know, like, this is what I am not saying. But what I am saying is in the midst of your ordinary, everyday lives, you can live with this active anticipation of I'm doing my duties, I'm doing what God's called me to do, I'm being faithful at, at, at my job, but I know what time of the game it is and what the play requires, so I'm going to take some risks. And that's what I'm asking you and calling our church to do is that in this time where it is the two-minute warning. Let's start taking some risk. What does keep watch mean? I think it can just kind of three, three thoughts as I was praying this and processing this. Number one, like actually live in light of Jesus' return. 
Like, actually let it be on your mind. Instead of it being the thing that just consumes you and you have a fear-based version of following Jesus, instead of it being, I'm not going to think about it at, at all, let's live with a healthy idea that Jesus is coming back and I want to live in light of that. Let it, inf- like, let it be a part of your prayer as you're making decisions. Because some of y'all are more concerned about retirement than you are the gospel. Not I'm saying don't, don't save. I'm not saying none of that. But at the same time, like, if, this, if, if his word is true, if he's really coming back, then we need to have that into consideration. One of the things that I love, and that's one of the reasons why we partner with this local missions organization, ICM, is the person that actually started it is a guy named Doyce Rosser. He was owned a lot of car dealerships in this area, made multiple millions of dollars. Into his 660s, he's about to retire, about to purchase a beach house, about to go and do the American dream, sit on a beach, sip strawberry dockeries, virgin of course, and play golf to golf away his retirement. He gets saved and says, I'm going to take my life savings, what have I, millions of dollars, and I'm going to invest it into the kingdom. Has a meeting with his family, with his daughters that he was going to give his inheritance to, and says, hey, yeah, I'm going to take y'all's money. I'm going to invest it in the gospel, just to let y'all know. But they were on board with it because they had seen the change in his life. I forget when it was, the 80s, like early 80s or something like that. I mean, we're in 2023 right now. We've got some of those people that work for, for that organization that are part of our church here. I mean, they, they have, I think, built, how many churches, Kelvin? Built over 12,000 churches. Those churches have planted churches. Only eternity knows. Only eternity will ever be able to let us know how many millions of lives have been impacted by the obedience of one old man with money. Right? I think it's because he had a realization of what time of the game it was and what kind of play needed to be run. So, live in light of Jesus' return and make decisions accordingly. Now, listen, I'm saving for retirement. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I'm not saying don't do that. I don't even like the word retire. I already told my wife I'm not, I'm not retiring. She knows that. And, I, and if you are retiring, I, I'm, I'm not, y'all hear my heart. I'm not bashing no one. I'm not, because the Holy Spirit, you, you do what Jesus tells you to do. But I'm just saying, be careful of the environment we're living in that's trying to shape you and form you to do what it wants instead of maybe saying, God, what do you have for me? Secondly, get our priorities. Like what I mean by keeping watch, get our priorities in order daily. It's kind of like a Lord is waking up as, what am I going to do today impact eternity? Because really some of you don't have purpose at your job because you don't see purpose beyond your job. You go to work and you go... And you're like you're sentenced to your work instead of being sent to your work. You don't view your work as your mission field. You, you, you view your work as a prison cell you go into every day. And maybe the Lord is, is saying, 
you know what, if you get your priorities in order, you'll actually see go, you going to work as your greatest mission field. You're the only Bible that's, that some people are going to read. So it's about, getting your, it's about getting our priorities in order, saying, you know what, is, am I living for eternity today? Am I living in light of Jesus coming back? And lastly, live, what I mean by keep watch is live with the spirit of John the Baptist. Where's, where, where, uh, worship team, y'all can come up. We've got to land this plane. But living with the spirit of John the Baptist. John the Baptist's purpose in scripture was to go and prepare the way of the Lord. That before the Messiah would come, he would be the one preparing the way, basically coming before him saying, he's coming. Jesus is coming. He's awesome. He's amazing. You better repent. And John the Baptist was the one that came and prepared the way. Like John the Baptist is like, mindset was, and this is one of my favorite scriptures in John chapter 3, verse number 30. And this is a great prayer for you to learn, a great prayer for you to get into your soul each and every day as you wake up. He said, he must become greater, talking about Jesus. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. But as John the Baptist was living his life in order to prepare the way for the coming King Jesus, that is a call we all have. That we can go into your workplace. He's coming. Not like you do this act actually. <laughs> dun, 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 you know, you know. You know, but by the way you live and talk and speak and act and like the, Jesus is here. I'm preparing the way for King Jesus. And as you become less, he becomes greater. That, that's what John the Baptist's whole goal was. It was like, I know that as I just prepare the way, I show up, I do what I do, Jesus is going to do what he does. I feel like every Sunday, this is what we do. We just prepare the way, preach the word, worship, do what we do, and we just prepare the way for King Jesus to touch and change your heart and touch and change your life. Because he's ultimately the one that does it. But what if we all had that spirit in this end times where we're saying, let's keep watch. Are y'all hearing my heart? Would you stand up with me? Was that good? Listen, the question today is, are you ready? I don't ask that question to fear monger you. I don't ask that question to, as a fear tactic, to get you to change or do anything. I'm asking you that because that is what the call of the gospel is. And Jesus said, are you ready? Are you keeping watch? And I just want to encourage you and invite you today, if you have never made a decision to follow Jesus and you need to be ready, now is your time. Some of you have never made a decision to follow Jesus, and today is your day. Some of you, you, you are going to have to repent of not even considering the day of the Lord, and your life is resembling that. There is no endurance. There is no training. There is no living in light of eternity. There is no, are y'all here in my heart? And I believe that as, as the church, like I said at, at the beginning, my heart today was for this to be a sobering message. That it would almost be a chiropractic appointment. <coughs> and get us back in line with our call as being followers of Jesus. That we would know Jesus prepared us. Aren't you glad Jesus prepares us? He didn't leave us. Like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I, you're, you're not going to know. You know, it's like, no, you're, you're going to be prepared. And as, as you're prepared, just don't panic, y'all. I'm on the throne. But y'all going to have to train a little bit. Because it's going to be hard. It's going to be dark. You got to get some endurance. This is what discipleship is.
You don't rise to the occasion. You sink to the level of your training. And then as we don't panic, we endure. We're, we're like, I, Jesus, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do my thing. But I'm going to be ready for you. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.